This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. The NHL trade deadline is Friday, just a couple days away as I say this. The trades so far are crazy. First round picks are being tossed around relatively carelessly. I heard the Penguins might trade a first round pick to St. Louis for Kasperi Kapanen. Get Cappy back. This is the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Pitt men's basketball is ranked number 25. What a great victory for this rising program to be ranked the 25th best team in the nation. Boy, what if they get to number 24 next week? They can reopen the O and have a party. I'm joined now by my co-host, Tom Offerman. Tom, you went to Duquesne, but you're a Pitt basketball fan. That that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. I was a big Pitt fan my entire life growing up. Time to apply to colleges after I graduated high school. Did not get into Pitt. Would have had to go to like Pitt Johnstown and then transfer in. Wasn't going to do that. Got into Duquesne. Wanted to stay in the city. And wait, that's wait, how it happened. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't get into Pitt but got into Duquesne. That's right. That doesn't make sense. Well, I'm telling you what happened. Pitt, Maine said, nope, go to Johnstown for a couple years. Duquesne is clearly a better school. I agree with you, and I'm glad that it worked out the way it did because I had a great experience at Duquesne, he says with a little bit of sarcasm in his voice. But it was odd to me at the time, but I wasn't going to just abandon my allegiance to the football and basketball oh, programs because they didn't to. let me you in. Got to. It wasn't like the football coach didn't let me in well, what, or the basketball what, coach what, what, didn't whatever, let me whatever in. Whatever college you go to is the one you have your allegiance to. That, that That's non-negotiable. I like Duquesne. I'm happy that Duquesne's doing well, and I don't even have to get conflicted because they don't play anybody in each other anymore, so it's beautiful. Right, because that coward, <laughs> that coward Capel won't play the city game no more because he's scared of losing to Duquesne. So if Pitt did play Duquesne, though, and when Pitt has played Duquesne, you root for Pitt? I do root for Pitt, yes. That's just, that's effed up. <laughs> that's effed up. I, I'd fire you and replace you on this podcast, except there's really no one else to do it. Is it a big deal that Pitt's ranked? I mean, why the bitching and moaning up until this point? And, and now they're at number 25. i got to be honest. I'd rather be unranked than be the last-ranked team. They, they do top 25 right there. Yes. They're the last of the ranked. Yes, they're in first place in the ACC conference heading into the last week of the regular season, and they're just barely ranked. They're the last team that got in. I think rankings are kind of BS in college basketball. They don't matter. They don't matter at all. So You either I, get in or you don't, and then you either win games or you don't. So I think when people were upset about it, it's kind of just you're a fan. You kind of want the respect of having a good season, and seeing that number next to your name is always pretty cool. But I don't really give a crap because it doesn't matter. Just want to get into the tournament. Whatever seed they give us is fine with me. You haven't been to the us. tournament. Listen to that, us. You haven't been to the tournament since 2016, I think it was. So uh, anything is okay with me. Even if you have to play in the first four, just get into the tournament. Do Who you cares think about they're a locked to get in? If they beat Notre, if they lose to Notre Dame in the middle of the week this week on Wednesday, 
they'll be in trouble. They could still be on the outside of the bubble. If they take care <laughs> if they take care of business at Notre Dame, they're that, fine. They'll that, be don't in. they play Miami too? Yeah, but Miami's so good that I think a loss to them won't matter. Plus they already beat Miami earlier in the season. Boy, I mean, speaking from just a objective perspective, which is to say I don't like pit athletics, <laughs> would it be hilarious if they didn't make it after all this all this promise and all this, what was thought to be a great season, that would make it not a great season. Hilarious would be a way to put it. And yeah, it absolutely would be a terrible season. I think there would be a fair amount of outrage if they beat Notre Dame, lost to Miami, and then say they even lose to like a Duke or something in the ACC tournament. I think you should get in at that point. But you're right. They're flirting with the bubble and the computer rankings hate them. They sit in like the 50s, the 60s. There. Why is that? I have no idea. I think they put a lot more weight on the... Because the the computer knows Jeff Capel was scared to play Duquesne. (laughs) That's the main reason, but I think they put a lot of weight in the early season non-conference schedule when West Virginia just housed them at the Pete, when Michigan just destroyed them up at Madison Square Garden. I think those losses are holding them back than any of the big wins, and I think the computers hate the ACC this year, so all the ACC wins that they have, the computers are kind of going, eh, is it that great? Uh, One thing i got to say in defense of Pitt, and and also in defense of the ACC, people are saying the ACC is having a down year. What they mean by that is that Duke and North Carolina are having down years. I'm not sure the conference itself is all that bad. I also think that there's a little guarding of preseason prognostication by people in the media because North Carolina was the number one team in the country and picked to finish first in the ACC. Duke is number two in the ACC preseason pool, was in the top ten. So with them being down, I think they just assume like, oh, just a down year for the ACC. The ACC is not very good. Kind of to protect themselves from you know being exposed as thinking that these teams are going to be so great and they actually bleep the bed this year. Who's Pitt's best player? It's such a collective. Just name a guy. Jamari Burton. Okay, good because I, I I want to make sure we named a player <laughs> in this in this long conversation about Pitt basketball because I couldn't name one. I just not don't. a single one. No, no, I don't. It, well, half of them are new. They were playing at different schools last Billy year. Billy Knight, Jerome Wayne, Charlie Smith, <laughs> Sean Miller. Um, Probably Sam Young, Dewan Blair. Those probably still creep into your Carl mind. Carl Krauser, because oh, he played that X. Bronx ball. Yeah, I like that. I, 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 I said this before on my show and on this podcast, Tom. I love the Big East. Oh, Pitt was badass when they had I, that. I watched the Big East. One of my big regrets, too, is that among the many events I've attended, I never intended the Big East tournament MSG. I always put it off. I'll do it sooner or later. The next thing you know. Right. It, it doesn't it, happen it, anymore. Yeah, well, it does, but it's not really that Big East, and Pitt ain't in it anyway. That New York pipeline where Krauser came from and so many other tough players that Pitt had, that was such a badass team, and you're right. It was like playing football out there when those teams would play each other. Now, I, I want to talk Penguins uh, because the trade deadline is Friday. We're taping this on the Tuesday. Should the Penguins make a big deal? Would it be worth it? I think Chikrin's the only big deal that you make that's worth it just because of his youth, the fact that he has term on his deal, and it's a pretty affordable deal for the next couple right, of years. Right, 24 years old, two more years, $4.6 million cap hit. I still don't know that I'd give up two first-round picks yeah. for him because I'm not sure if he if he even gets them in the playoffs for sure this year. I think it'd help. I know he doesn't get them through a series this year. And, and do you if, have any faith that next year he'd be an addition with some other additions this offseason that they'd win a series? Well, they've got to rebuild the whole third line, and, and I think that's easier said than done. They will have X amount of cap space. They've got to iron out their goaltending, too, because Jari's up, and I don't know if you're going to trust him enough after four injuries in 10 months to give him what he wants, which is six years at $6 million per. So uh, in, in a vacuum, I probably would. They say it's going to cost two first-round picks for Chikrin. I'm not sure it helps enough either this year or moving forward because, as I frequently said, I don't think Buffalo and Detroit are good enough to catch the Penguins this year. I don't think they're ready. 
I don't think the Penguins will be able to catch them next year. Right. And Ottawa might jump ahead of the Penguins, too. Right. Ottawa looks really good and young. And like you always say with the Islanders, Sorokin will be back next year, and he'll be one of the best goalies in hockey. So you know they're just going to be a pain in your ass for the entirety of the season. As far as this year is concerned, though, and as far as the chicken market is concerned, don't you think that a team maybe like a Buffalo or a Detroit should try to jump in on that, too, and mortgage some of their future for a young player like that? Or are they still too far away to really make that kind of move? His youth and the fact that he's controllable for a couple years just makes him so unique and so different. Yeah, but I don't think those teams want to give up draft picks yet. Just yet? They're a little too early for that? I think, I think you got to be close to accomplishing something to uh, give up draft picks. First-rounders especially. Well, if, the, if I was the Penguins, that would probably be the only guy that I'd consider moving any first-round capital for. No rentals, no players well, that are close to the wrong a, side There's of a J.T. Miller rumor coming from yeah, Vancouver, that, but that's not going to happen. You would have to give up too much to get him. And I'm not sure he's what they need. Like, like if you got J.T. Miller, you know what you'd have to do? You'd have to jump him on the top six and maybe drop Brian Rust down. And I don't think Sullivan will want to do that because respect for Rusty, he's won cups, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, he wouldn't want to do that. You're right. And he's earned himself onto that top six, which is something that, you know, I'm sure Sullivan is proud to see happen who, under who, him. Who, Rusty? Yeah. Oh, Rusty's a third liner who won the line mate lottery. He's not a true top six, not even close. So like you were just saying, he's got, man. He's got the stats, but he, he's flown high on borrowed wings. I, I respect his contribution, but but it, it ain't because of him. So even though it's probably not going to happen with JT Miller, part. that would be the best thing that you could do is then get a Rusty on the third line where he belongs. Yeah, but it doesn't solve the problem at center. Doesn't solve the problem at center. I mean, you know, if you put Rusty on... On the third line with Jeff Carter as the center, that'd be like putting a hangman's noose around Rusty's neck or maybe tying the anchor from the Titanic to his ankle. They don't seem like they're going to do this either, but what about just moving Drew O'Connor to center on the third line, moving Carter to the wing, and then having Bluger be your fourth-line center and just see how it goes for a couple weeks. They're, they're just, just not, they're not going to do, do that. No, too much respect for Jeff Car- <laughs> Like That's what irritates me the most about Sullivan. It's amazing because, as I've said repeatedly, he made his bones because of young guys he brought with him from Wilkes in 16 and 17, and now... He just won't trust uh, younger players. He's become Dan Balsma. I mean, yeah. good and bad. He's become Dan. Um, uh, even if the Penguins miss the playoffs, they, they they won't burn the team down. That's not another thing that's not said enough. Uh, they would just rebuild around Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Like I said, get a better third line. But it's not like they're suddenly going to you know uh, tank and look for high picks. They're and, and stockpile youth. They they got what they got. And I think that happens this year, next year, through the end of Sid's contract, at least two more years with the old guys. Are you interested to see what happens with a guy like maybe Jason Zucker in the offseason? A guy that they should probably let go so they could reallocate some of that cash to rebuild their bottom six, but I'd be tempted to sign him if I were the Penguins. He's the only guy that brings juice every single night. Yeah, but you got to change something. Something's got to give. You're right. So I would I'd probably rather, let I'd him I'd rather walk. sign him and trade Rusty, but Rusty's one of the... Uh, two dozen players who has no movement causes, which is actually only a slight exaggeration. There are nine of those. Uh, you well, also think another GM will be at the helm by the offseason, right, to I foresee don't know, this? I don't know that for sure. I okay. would say probably. I don't know that for sure. Uh, when Bluger, Carter, and Dumoulin all scored against Tampa, should they have stopped the fight? N- it was amazing to see them score seven goals and exercise the demons of such terrible games of well, recently. In, in five goals in four minutes and 27 seconds. The problem with that is... The most hilarious guy scoring, though, was the best part about it. The cherry on top. Like, you couldn't have picked an otter bunch of, of a trio that you just named to put it in. Now, uh, they play Tampa. Is it Thursday or Thursday Saturday? Thursday night against Tampa. Yeah, that uh, they're going to be mad. Yeah, they're going <laughs> to... 
They're going to they're lo- be mad. Vassie's going to be in the net. They're yeah, going to lose Vasilevsky, that game. They're going to they're going to be mad. Which uh, is why the game that you've already probably watched by the time you're listening to this podcast tonight against Nashville is so big. They got to get two points before. Yeah, Tampa. of the three game trip, that's the most winnable. And then Saturday against Florida, direct competition for the wild card. That's that that's they're they're all big. Yes, from here on out. Uh, uh, like I said, they scored five goals in four twenty seven against Tampa. Penguins scored five goals in two minutes and seven seconds in 1972. I was there uh, at the Civic Arena. They turned a 5-4 lead into a 10-4 win over St. Louis. And Ron Hextall's dad scored the first goal, Brian Hextall. Well, how about that for coming full circle? You were also at this game on Sunday that you I'm, a, I'm at all the games. It's, <laughs> it, it's, 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 yeah. If, if you can get there through the traffic, of course. Yeah, yeah. It, it, oh, don't get me started. I, um, yeah, if I only went occasionally, it would be something I was there for both <laughs> outbursts. One thing I did not know, I was looking at the box score from that game in 72 to get, you know, the times I wrote a little blog on it. My favorite player, Greg Polis, who, who was also, uh, his family and, and, and me and my mom were friends with them. And I, when he got traded, I used to go visit him when he played in right. St. Louis in, in New York. And uh, he was MVP in the All-Star game. I still have a stick he used in that game, but I did not realize. I was looking at the box score, and Greg Polis had a Gordie Howe hat trick. A goal, two assists, including both helpers during that five-goal outburst, and uh, a fight. So uh, it was kind of cool to... To learn that, and that's what you want to see your favorite player do, right? Not only kick some ass on the score sheet, but actually physically kick some ass on the ice too. I was surprised he was actually in a fight. <laughs> ever, he wasn't that kind of player. I I tried to look it up on YouTube because all the fights are there. None of the goals for Greg Polis, but, <laughs> but every time he dropped the gloves, well, anybody, anybody with the fights. But I, I could not find uh, that fight. Um, and actually, most of the fight stuff doesn't go that far back. But it it is amazing, like Phil Esposito, who at one time was the all-time single-season goal-scoring leader, it's easier to find one of his fights than it is one of his goals. <laughs> you know, he fought Dwayne Rupp, um, who, uh, ex-Penguins, still lives in the area. Good guy, very good player as well. Who are the real Penguins, Tom? The ones that beat Tampa 7-3 or the ones that lost to Edmonton 7-2? Am I allowed to say somewhere in the middle, or is that a cop-out for a podcast? No, I, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, it's somewhere I, I think, in the middle. I think they are in the middle, Period. I think they are just mid. I, I think they're a team that's going to make the playoffs or miss the playoffs by a point. What worries me more is when they're in those games that are tight, they usually end up losing them as opposed to winning them. Like St. Louis was such a breath of fresh air because heading into that overtime, I thought it was over. I thought that the Blues were going to score and I thought the Penguins were going to not walk away with anything but the loser point in that game. So it was nice to see them get a win in a tight game. But after they go on this road trip, I see the Islanders in a week from now, and I'm just I'm worried about that game again. It's going to be another tight, like three to two game that I feel like the Isles will just blow open. So when they get close in games against teams down the stretch that are in this wild card race, I still don't know if I can trust them to win close games yet. I definitely don't, but they might because I don't trust the other teams That's either. True. Here's my top three list: top three Penguins trades ever. Number three, Recky and Coffee for Rick Talk and Shell Samuelson. In 1992, three-way deal involved the Kings and Flyers, won a cup, very gutsy by the general manager Craig Patrick. He traded two future Hall of Famers, and, and talk um, might yet make it, but ain't yet. Shell Samuelson got no shot, but it transformed the team. Tougher with talk, a six foot seven defenseman with unbelievable reach and shell. So that's number three. Number two, uh, Cullen and Zalapsky for Ronnie Francis and Ulf Samuelson in 1991. Uh, that was with Hartford. It won a cup. EJ was the GM for Hartford. But before you, you ridicule his end of the deal, the hockey news had a headline the week after that deal was made. It said Hartford wins the deal. 
because because Zombie Zalapsky was a very Fair highly regarded young defenseman, was a first round pick. But uh, and Ronnie Francis had underachieved at that point. A lot of people thought. How about this? That guy ended his career with a reputation as a great leader and great you know character guy. Right. He was not thought of that in Hartford wow. as that. Don't you just love when people react to trades like that right when the trade happens? But you have to. You have to, I you guess, to. especially I in this field. But it's just always funny because you just have no idea what's going to pan out, what pick's going to turn into what player, anything like that. And number one, I'm, I'm kind of going off the board here. Jim Rutherford's five trades in 2015 and 16. He got Kessel, Benino, Haglin, Schultz, and Daly. Made the Penguins the fastest team in the league, won two cups. It's the most impact a GM has ever had on reshaping a team and winning immediately. It was just a machine gun of trades that uh, made the Penguins champions before all the other GMs knew what happened. A lot of other trades, too. The Hosa trade, the Murphy trade, the Mullen trade. Uh, One that goes underrated and almost forgotten, they traded up to get Marc-Andre Fleury with the first pick of the draft in in 2003. But I go with Rutherford's Fleury of trades as the number one. Uh, you mentioned Zucker before. Will they sign him in the offseason? With first-round picks flying around in these deals, like like Chicago got got a first-round pick and then some for, for Lafferty and McCabe. I mean, I you know, that's incredible return uh, from Toronto. What are the Penguins going to offer the first-round pick for Zucker? I'd say do it because I think they can make the playoffs without Zucker, and they won't win a first-round series even if they have him. Exactly. I would do it as well. But like so many talking points with the Pittsburgh Penguins, it just ends with they're just not going to do that. The locker room would wet their pants like crazy if they traded Zucker. And even though you're right, I think they could still make the playoffs without him. I think they'd view it as management thinking that they can't and that they're kind of slightly giving up on this season and hedging their future for the next season. And they would not like that very much. Okay, let's go to five guys. What do you got? Five guys today is one hit wonders. Some low hit hanging fruit for five guys. I'm surprised it took us this long to do this. Sports, music, music, one hit wonders and music. Number five, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, because his career and life kind of disintegrated after that. Well, he got sued. Doesn't he have to pay money every time that's played because he took the the under pressure sample, the well, tracking sample, illegally? Well, I, I don't know if it was illegally. Don't don't rappers do that all the time? Yeah, but I don't think you can sell that. Like, I, you have to get the rights to it, or you have to give it away for free. Like, you put it on a mixtape. Like, I don't think you can get those oh, kind no, of samples. No, no. I, I don't I, know. Yeah, uh, uh, Tom, think... you gotta you gotta research this before you just spew out. I'm Reckless. telling you, he has to pay when he plays that. He gets sued a lot because of that. Okay, but like James Brown, funky drummer. Okay. That's the basis of like 9,000 rap songs. Do you think they pay the estate of James Brown to use that? I don't know. They think they do. I think you have to. Yeah, that was the funky drummer, among others, F the Police. Number four, a song that you've played on the show a lot, The Vapors Turning Japanese. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a great song. Such a good song. The only thing that makes me not like it is it's like DK's favorite band ever. Ah. Why'd you have to ruin it? I like believe that? he's actually jammed with the Vapors. I'm not kidding. So let's move on from the Vapors, even though it's a great song. Number three. And you know what it's about, don't you? I do not. It's about self-gratification while in prison. Okay. Number three, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. Made famous by the movie Rocky. I did some research for this, Mark. I didn't know that Rocky, or Sylvester Stallone, was trying to use Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. And Queen told him no. So then he turned to Survivor for Eye of the Tiger. I think I the Tiger fits better. And I the of Tiger course. was made into the catchphrase by Apollo Creed. I the Tiger Rock. I the Tiger. <laughs> That's right. And Hulk Hogan used that as an entrance for a while, too. Really? Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. He used I the Tiger. He's Real American, which was written for him by, uh, uh, who who wrote it? Uh, Rick Derringer. 
it's gone like eight times platinum and Hulk, ever since the movie. And Hulk, of course, did uh, came in, in WCW when he was with the NWO, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Voodoo Child, which one of our announcers, Mike Tanay, who looked like Count Chocula, <laughs> repeatedly pronounced as Voodoo Chile. Not Voodoo Child, Voodoo Chile. Because he didn't know how to pronounce it when he see it spelled out in front of him. Because he looked like Count Chocula. No, no, <laughs> oh. no. It was spelled C-H-L-I. No, I'm misspelling. C-H-I-L-E. Okay. Voodoo Child. Right. But he called it Voodoo Chile. Chile. <laughs> Number two, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. And yes, I did call my Count Chocula on the air <laughs> several times. Uh, and he was a great announcer. He just looked like Count, Count Chocula. Chocula. Yeah. Um, okay, Spirit in the Sky. That was Boy, you're going way back for that one. Yeah. I mean, I love that song, though, don't you? Yeah, it's a good song. But like, Never heard I, from Norman Greenbaum again, though. There were a ton of... He's probably gone to the spirit <laughs> in the sky. There were a ton of like... like Okay, what's number one? Number one's just a personal favorite. Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. Did Mix-a-Lot do nothing after that? I don't think I've ever heard from him after that. Maybe he's tried... I'm sure he's tried a couple of things, but... Well, at least he got knighted out of it. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Sir Mix-a-Lot. See, if you would have gone back to the 50s and 60s, there were a yeah. lot more. Oh, there's a ton of these. I can name one. The Oneaters. I've never heard of it. Yeah, you have the movie, that thing you do, the Tom Hanks movie. Never seen it. You never saw it. Never saw it. Oh, that was about a group. They they were called the Wonders, spelled with a, okay. a one. You know, O N E, like right. the numeral one. And everybody mispronounced the Oneaters. So <laughs> so they they eventually changed it to just Wonders. But yeah, that their their hit was that thing you do. They were one hit wonders. Yeah, there's so many on a list. Because I, I looked up a list after I, I put up a couple songs that I wanted. There's like a thousand best of Rolling Stones, top 50, top 30, that you can find on the internet for one-hit wonders. MC Hammer, not a one-hit wonder, according to a lot of people. I thought that that was just one that was widely accepted, but he's had a couple of songs that oh, I weren't can't, big hits. I but, can't name one besides, uh, besides Can't Touch This. I don't think I can either. Well, there you go. Uh, now, did you see Cocaine Bear? I did see Cocaine it, Bear. Now, you don't. You didn't like it. It's I ob- liked it. No, I liked it's it. It's obviously the movie of the year. I think it is the movie of the year. It, the best part about it was that it was just something different, because I'm sure you saw the same previews in the theater that I saw. Mark, like five of the six previews I saw were like Scream 5, Fast and Furious 10, like just rehashed, rebaked well, I, movies. I, I talked about that on my show. You you, you heard it. I, yeah. I, it's something different. Yeah, exactly. So well, that was can refreshing. You believe, can you believe there are 10 Fast and Furious movies no. and they all stink? I can't believe there's like six or five Vin screams. Vin Diesel is a talentless lump. And it's made him a multi, 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 multi millionaire. All he does is drive those cars fast to talk about his family and how much he'd do anything for his family. We watched that preview before Cocaine Bear, and I turned to my buddy and I said, I think we just saw the entire movie. Like, I don't think there's any need to actually go see two hours worth of this. In that 90, sec- in that 90 seconds, we saw it all. You know what is amazing about Vin Diesel, though? He became such a mainstay in the context of that franchise that when he clashed with The Rock, because The Rock joined the franchise, yes. when he clashed with The Rock, they kept Vin Diesel and ditched The Rock. Yeah, now The Rock is, or now Vin Diesel's like, oh, taking jabs at The Rock all the time, like you're not part of the family anymore. He turned his back on family. Could be a work, though. No, it's not a work. No, I mean, uh, it, 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 I mean, could you imagine picking Vin Diesel over The Rock, but within the context that franchise, you, do pick you Vin had Diesel. to. You had to. You had to do it. Especially with, uh, what's his face, Paul Walker passing away. Because he was the only other mainstay that you'd have. The yeah, I still of think of him as, uh, as the quarterback from uh, from uh, Varsity Blues. Vars- was he the quarterback in Varsity Blues? Yeah. You, you never saw Varsity <laughs> never Blues? Never saw Varsity Blues. Oh, my God. What is wrong with you? Uh, now, now here's the sad part about having seen Cocaine Bear. And I loved it. I And I thought Ray Liotta. Yeah, it was a good movie. Ray Liotta was just tremendous. I thought it was well shot, too. I, like It was really like... 
it was kind of like that in-your-face production, which went with the gratuitous violence and all the all the loud dialogue. And, and the kids were like, the kids were that oasis of sweetness. And very good child actors, Yes, too. exactly. And but they did cocaine. <laughs> the kids also did cocaine. Exactly. They ate it. How? They ate it off the edge of a knife. I've seen a lot of drug stuff go on, some funky crap, but not that. Nothing like that. How squeamish were you in the theater, too? Because that's one thing that I thought it did really well, too. Like, when the bear was mauling people, I was like, oh, like, turning in my seat and, like, hard to watch. Like, it was very graphic. I loved it. But now I've got nothing to look forward to. Well, you can Uh, go see it again. Well, right, but I've seen Cocaine Bear, that 90s show. You know, the first season I've seen. I'm all caught up on Your Honor. I'm caught up on Mira Kingstown. I'm done with the wire. I got nothing. Doesn't I got succession nothing. start soon? I think succession starts soon. Define soon. <laughs> like when you're 62 years old and you've been overweight your whole life, soon is like Friday. <laughs> that that defines soon. Uh, uh, the NFL might allow uh, review on roughing the passer calls. Is that a good idea or bad? Terrible. I, idea. I don't like reviewing judgment calls, and it failed with pass interference. And I don't think they're going to suddenly start overturning roughing the passer calls. They're not going to protect quarterbacks less. March 26th for succession for you. So there you go. Really? You got a month. Yep, you That's got a month. You got a month to wait. Uh yeah, it's a terrible idea to do that. I think we saw kind of what this would look like when they allowed the challenging of pass interference in the NFL and how much that just was terrible for the game. And I think this would be just even worse. Uh, the solution is to just have the refs get better. Just have the refs be better That's, at calling Yeah, this. but part of the problem with the refs is there's too many rules. To keep track of. And the and game's you... too hard to officiate. And I, I would bet they're discouraged not only by you know video review being such a constant presence, but now they've got the earpiece where New York is telling yes. them what to call. I mean, I wouldn't want a ref except for the money. They've ruined... Any pride these guys can take in refereeing, and it's made them worse refs. That's happened to all officials in all sports. That's got to be done away with, too, is the earpiece communication with New York. But it won't be done away with. They're going to want to micromanage this for the end of time now, but it has to be called by the refs on the field. There has to be some, like common sense applied to it like yeah he kind of hit the quarterback a little high but he was trying to put the brakes on as fast as he can i'm not going to ding him for 15 yards there they should they who's like a a retired football player that was dirty like bart scott warren Sapp. yeah they should put them like in charges like george (laughs) paros being the nhl's dean of discipline you could see a quarterback like get stabbed in the neck with a knife you know it's a clean hit clean play play. yeah Uh, in that vein what's your take on the pitch clock with mlb uh, it's awkward now in spring training, but it'll blend in. It'll it blend in, and it's making the games appreciably shorter. I've watched a little bit of spring training for the pitch clock. It's awesome, Mark. That thing moves now. The game moves so much faster. And it's on camera, right? Yes. there You can see it right in the background. So it's a the sense batter. of urgency. Exactly. But, but I've heard in the MLB parks it won't be as present. That's a shame. I hope they put it on like the score bug then for you, at least at home, to see it happening. Um, because it's going to be fun to watch that sense of urgency, like you said, it count down and potentially get a ball or potentially get a strike. But they're just proving already in this short sample size, like the average game time is down like 30, 40 minutes. 40 minutes they were wasting by all the BS, adjusting the gloves, And the pitchers and batters on the are complaining because they don't understand the game's not for them. Exactly, but also I see a lot of hard-o baseball fans complaining, and that makes me love it even more, where they're like, this is not how the game is supposed to be played. I like to see the pitcher and the nuance of them waiting with Aaron Judge up and the bases loaded of waiting him out in the game of chicken. Like, no one wants to see that, dude. Pitch in 20 seconds or less or get off. If I cared at all about baseball or the Pirates, I would get, like, a seat along the third baseline, like, real close to the field, like, you know, like, uh, just past the dugout. 
So you have a clear view right. of the pitcher, and I'd be like heckling him over the pitch clock. I'd be like, six, five, throw it, throw it, throw it. Like in basketball. Gonna be a ball, gonna be a ball. Like in basketball with a shot clock, when it's at 10, the student section starts the five, five countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, try to force up an early shot. I like that a lot. It's just that, plus I think the banning of the shift is just going to make baseball, I think, a little bit more enjoyable this year. I'm excited to at least watch The banning of the shift will put the ball in play more. You know you know what, though? You know when the pitch is thrown, you can, you can cross the second baseline? So you're going to see, like, infielders in motion, like in football. You are. That's a little ridiculous. Do you think that'll catch on a lot? Uh, yes, because managers and analysts will never let go of their death grip of any sport <laughs> now because they've been made to feel too important, more in baseball than any other game. Yeah, they know they're right, so they're going to figure out a workaround. Okay, let's go to good cop, bad cop. What do you got? It's very appropriate for baseball because my good cop, bad cop is MLB owners. My good cop is Peter Seidler out in San Diego. Oh my God, he's the greatest. Spending money like crazy and probably going to end up losing some money in the end of it. But he lost money last year. Who cares? Like, if you're going to own one of these things, he has three billion dollars and he wants to win. Why wouldn't you treat it like a toy? If you're going to own something, well, not like like a toy, but why wouldn't you take a risk to try to get reward? You know what I mean, and that's exactly what like. If you're going to do this, don't you think winning is a part of it too, and not just being a business and turning? Yeah, a I mean they have the number they have the number thirty market MLB, and he's spending spending like crazy. Now that might be that's because they chop off LA, like you know LA and San Diego connect, right? And, and San Diego doesn't get any of LA. There's a lot of you know fans near LA that are Padres supporters or. Maybe can't get Dodgers tickets. That's how that works. But, but you know they're getting revenue sharing from the big boys too, but they're actually using it correctly and putting that back into their team as well as the actual owner's money. And then, of course, the bad cop is Bob Nutting, who, as you've noted on your show this week, is just parading a bunch of BS around. At oh, my God. When right he now. says, well, would like to get a deal done with right. Reynolds, would like to have a $100 million contract. If he wanted either of those things, they could be done this afternoon. I'd like to imagine that he, like, storms into Charrington's office every now and again and, like, demands him sign Brian Reynolds, but then, like, not offer him more money to do it. And then Sharon, he leaves, and Charrington's like, what the hell is going on? They're is this guy offer, insane? They're going to continually offer Brian Reynolds just enough money to not sign him. And he'll be here for, what, the next two years until they trade him before his last year of, of organizational control. Now, now here's a question. Like, okay, they're $54 million in two years apart, right? Yes. What if... Um, That's not that much in baseball when you no, say it like no, that at not. all. Well, you know what's funny? The one thing I would hesitate is the eight years. Because he's, what, 28 already? Or? I think he's 27, 28, but in baseball... But you got to sign somebody. And your prime can be longer in baseball, especially now that the DH is universal. Because if he just has his hand-eye coordination, he can hit for you forever. Well, do you think Brian Reynolds thinks for a minute that his counter offer will be accepted by the Pirates? And what if the Pirates did? What would Reynolds' reaction be? Would he say, oh, no, that's not what I meant. I need uh, uh, 15 years, 15 years. If he was smart, he would increase. Because no matter what, I would just want to get out of Pittsburgh right now. Because even if they do lock him up, they're never going to sign the pitching necessary to compete. So what's the point? Well, that's the one thing the Bucko faith don't don't get is that every single player on that team with any ability is plotting his way out. Yeah, except for Cabrian Hayes, who didn't have enough faith in himself. You know when he signed that long term deal there. And anybody, O'Neill Cruz wants out, no question, no question. Anybody who has like potential heading into the season, if you notice, they're all on the offense. They're all batters. Like you need pitching to win, and they have no pitching whatsoever. Well, they got you know Ronzi. Whatever, and, I'll believe it when I see it. From and him. Mitch Keller, who pitch, pitches good every third game. Okay, so that makes him the ace. <laughs> That'd be great if you had those young guys as your third and your fourth, and you went out and you got some two veteran horses to lead your rotation, but they don't do that other part, where they get the veterans. Well, A.J. Burnett's in. coming back. Batman. We're he, saved then. He's throwing the first pitch to uh, Russell Martin in in in, in uh, at the opener. 
because it's the anniversary of 2013 when they turn things around. You know, you know I want to see what they do in 2015 when they let everybody in uh, 2025, which is the 10th anniversary, them breaking up a uh, 98-win team because they didn't want to pay him. Why don't they bring Cueto back out to drop the ball again to celebrate 2013? And I love A.J. Burnett, but he's kind of a pawn in don't look here, look over there. By the way, before we wrap up, uh, are, are you a Succession fan? I haven't watched Succession, but I hear it's a great show. Dear God! <laughs> What is wrong with you? I'm not even going to tell the succession story. I'm Mark Madden. <laughs> Bet now from anywhere. Thank you for listening to the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.